Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Meet the Producer, the podcast that puts the art, craft and business of producing in the spotlight as I talk to film and TV producers about their work and careers to learn how they approach the many facets of their job so that you and I can better go about ours. This is the second season of Meet the Producer, again brought to you with the support of the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored this time by Production Service Network, PSN. Production Service Network facilitate physical production and access to incentives worldwide. The network taps producers into local production knowledge and expertise spanning more than 100 countries to determine where to best achieve the creative vision of film and HETV projects on budget. Visit productionservicenetwork.com. This second season of Meet the Producer puts the focus on awards season, as many of my guests will be in the race for nominations, for Guild Awards and sometimes for the most prestigious prizes the industry has to offer. So we'll be finding out what effect that can have and how to react when and if it happens. In the first season of Meet the Producer, I was a new producer myself. But since then, and partly due to the advice I received making that series, My projects have advanced considerably, and my knowledge and confidence in the role is growing. Awards may be some way off now for the moment, but after a career covering them as a critic and presenter on the red carpets and in news studios, they're the destination I'm aiming for as a filmmaker from the start. Why not? So let's get going and meet the producer. My guest on this episode is German producer Malte Grunert, who is reaching a career high with All Quiet on the Western Front. With its seven wins at the BAFTAs, including Best Film, and nine nominations at the Oscars, the Netflix-backed film is having an extraordinary journey and an extraordinary impact, telling the story of a young and idealistic soldier joining up to fight for what he believes is the glory of his country. Paul Weimar, ich möchte noch nicht loslegen. Wir sind jetzt an der Westfront. Malta is an experienced European producer, having worked on international productions such as The Aftermath, starring Kira Knightley, and the John le Carre adaptation A Most Wanted Man, with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Daniel Brühl, who also appears in All Quiet on the Western Front. I caught up with Malta at a London screening just before his film triumphed at the BAFTAs to catch the wave of mounting excitement around the film and to find out just why it was such a success. Yes, it's it's been it's been an incredible journey. And sort of all these, I mean, sort of fourteen BAFTA nominations and nine Oscar nominations, including best film, which is great because that would be mine. Yes, um, but, <laughs> that's I, what the producer does. Yeah, makes it, the best film. Exactly. I mean, so we're, we're not going to get that, but um, but yeah, it's sort of it's 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 really amazing and completely unforeseen. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I met you a few months ago. When the film was being well received with the screening here in London, but to be honest, I don't think anyone there knew it was quite headed for this 
huge momentum. What does a producer do when suddenly these these numbers start totting up? Do you do you change gear? Does it change your job? How do you react to an award season? Yes, I mean, sort of. It, it's very different. It's very different to anything I've I've produced in the past. Sort of, I've I've never done anything that that sort of had this massive recognition. So so it is a very new experience for me. And yes, it certainly does change the gear. And and obviously, sort of our partners at Netflix are are amazing at sort of you know doing the awards campaign yes. and sort of and and organizing screenings and Q and A's. So. Basically, they're changing gears, and I'm just running along, trying to not be left <laughs> because behind. I think it's a very strange thing for a producer because you've made the film, the film is done, and it doesn't change each time you show it. The more people you show it to, it's the same film, and yet it it grows in momentum. More people examine it, more eyeballs on it, more opinions about it. It has to be a very strong film, it seems to me, to go through this this process of repeated nominations and then next rounds and long lists and all these different opinions flying in at it from people who aren't necessarily film fans. You know, they, it brings in a whole new world, I think. It, it is, and, and, and I am I'm really, really thrilled, especially for, um, for our heads of departments and all the craft involved in the film. Yes. Sort of that, that is the one thing, because making the film wasn't easy. I mean, sort of, it's a... It's a War film, sort of our budget wasn't massive. We didn't have a hell of a lot of time. And everybody was so invested. It's sort of our costume designer, Lizzie Crystal, sort of our hiker, our makeup, um, it, sort of James Friend, our DP, Falker, composer, everybody, our sound guys, Frank Kruse, our editor. It was sort of everybody was so invested that despite all the the long hours and sort of when we shot it, it was, you know, it was cold and wet and sort of, and we were basically stuck in frozen mud sort of at the height of the pandemic, sort of with borders closed, no traveling, everybody sort of holed up in their apartments afterwards. So, so it could have been also a very grueling or draining experience making it. And on, on one level it was, but it was also extremely satisfying creatively very satisfying i sort of it i i really loved driving out to set every morning at 3 30 in the morning uh, and entering the frozen mud pit i guess we must say that that it probably wasn't as grueling as it was uh, 110 years ago for the guys that were actually in those trenches. no obviously <laughs> sort of and, and and sort of let let me sort of absolutely i have to correct myself there i mean sort of it, it is it's uncomparable and no film production can ever be anything close and i yeah. don't i don't i don't mean to claim anything like that that would be Sort of, I mean, that, that would be horrendous. And uh, no, no, but so, I think so, you're, you're, the truth comes out in, in what we see on the screen. Yes, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you have to do a trailer. <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone expects you to go through the same situation. Yeah. But the fact that we believe that your actors did and yeah. your set did that's a, that's a, a it's a great production. And, you know, it, it's one of those films you say it's a great production. The whole thing is great. You, you mentioned it so well there, Malta. Uh, recreating the shoot. So, can you tell us a bit where it was? What, what I mean, when you say it wasn't a big budget, it, it looks a big budget film. It's I mean, sort of, I, 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 I'm not allowed, or I can't tell you sort of the exact budget. Mm. But, but um, I mean, we shot the whole film in 52 days, which was a tight schedule, especially given the complexity of our battle sequences mm. and the fact that sort of Edward Berger and our DP James Friend had decided to to do it a, a one camera show i mean obviously you know we we sort of 
we had a second camera setting up, but we we actually never really used two or three cameras shooting the same scene. And the intention was to be very close to our main character yeah. and sort of in, and tell it from from his point of view or be on him all the time. So it was a complicated production. Sort of we did shoot it in the Czech Republic. Our main location, the battlefield, was uh, outside of Prague. Uh, half a kilometer outside of Prague, uh, we had found this former Soviet airfield, and we built our our sort of trench set um, in between the two runways, which was good for accessibility and heavy so machinery going them, in yeah. and out. And 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 the set, every time sort of we we did a walkthrough and we decided how long, what distance do we need in order to achieve a certain shot and a certain sort of just you know with with cast or us walking through and sort of playing out the action and saying, yeah. okay, how many meters do we need from a German trench to a French, French trench? How many meters do we need from that sort of bunker out to, to that? And, and the set grew every single time we did that. So, so in the end, yes, it was... Um, Are we talking that like, this is the biggest crew that you've had in, in terms of the, the, the set build and uh, you know, just in terms of the bodies, the extras? The... Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the biggest film I've, I've made so far. Yes, I mean, sort of the, the, the set ended up being... I mean, sort of we had about 4,500 yards of trenches that needed to be built and the entire set was about 3,000 by 1,200. Wow. Yeah. And are you in the Czech Republic because that was a good uh, co-production uh, spot or because I, I, it's a neutral place, you, it's the best place for the for the, what you had in terms of this enormous production that you needed to do, you couldn't do it in Germany? Or... Well, the, the Czech Republic has a fantastic film infrastructure, yeah. very good crews. They are especially skilled uh, when it comes to large builds and um, period builds. Oh, yeah. So they have um, a fantastic skill set when it comes to aging, painting, um, all of that sort of was, was obviously a key factor in, for, for us in, in prepping for the film. And then outside of the battle scene, we obviously, or the battle scenes, we, we also needed other locations as in, you know, the, the school in the very opening or sort of, you know, destroyed buildings or sort of, you know, old farms, mm. which which would have been a lot more difficult to, to recreate or find in so Germany. So you found all of those, even the, the, the French farm and the, the, the rolling hills, that's all Czech? Everything. We sort of we shot everything in the Czech Republic. Yeah, fantastic. As I say, it, it is a you know, superb production when you watch it. You, know, you are immersed in this difficult world. You know, it is hard to see. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, I think, for perspective, for English speakers, is that I actually knew, I know this novel because I studied German at, mm -hmm. at school. I have a, a degree in German. So I have read Invest in Licht Neues, mm -hmm. as has m most people, most German school children have read it. It's a sort of set text at the schools. But absolutely, I'm 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 not sure if it's required reading um, all over Germany, but it's still very very much a canonical sort of book that yeah. that is read in ninth or tenth grade. Yeah. Did you did you, you yourself read it then? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, sort of. I, I I first read it in my teens when yeah. I was fourteen or fifteen. Uh, reread it in my twins, and it left a, a lasting impression. And and sort of and, and upon rereading it now in in the in the context of this production, it's it's a very modern book. It's uh, not just in terms of themes, but also the language and and the perspective that 
sort of that that the writer takes is 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 a very contemporary text. Yeah, still. it is a modernist. I would say mod, mod, modernist uh, take on it, which is I don't because we have a tradition of World War One anti-war poetry here mm-hmm. in, in the UK, in particular, rather famous poems more than a more than we have the the, the, the novel. I don't know if you were aware of that because it seems that the UK culture, the American culture, has taken to this this movie in a way that it perhaps would be surprising, you know, that it's such a German point of view, that to take that side, I, I don't know, on your travels, you're here in London now talking to me, have you met people who are intrigued by seeing that other side? Absolutely, I mean, sort of, it, it is, and, and I think it's this very particular German perspective that that maybe adds something to to a conversation about war films or anti-war yeah. films. Obviously the German perspective is is a very different one. Sort of in 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 the US or uh in the UK, both countries were sort of forced into the world wars. They defended themselves and they were victorious in the Second World War sort of freeing Europe from the Nazi regime. So it's a perspective that allows a heroic take on on war on on achieving something, on achieving a mission. The the German perspective obviously can only be one of guilt and shame and hopefully responsibility for starting both wars and sort of and 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 committing the largest crimes of the 20th century. So so that perspective is is very unique. And it's obviously also the perspective of of Remark and and his book. His book really is about a young group of students who uh, fall prey to nationalistic propaganda yeah. and lies and enter war thinking this will be an adventure uh, and will march on Paris in two weeks. And what they meet is war, meaning death and pain and yeah. suffering. It's like a hell they, they go into. It, it's hell. It is. And and World War One was the first industrialized war. It was basically a meat grinder with sort of railways and trucks and sort of being pushed into this huge meat grinder and and and, and especially on the western front at the at the end of the war and about and sort of 17 million dead in the first world war altogether 3 million on the western front so 3 million deaths later the front had moved a couple of hundred yards there were movement back and forth, but it's um, it's it's it is hell. And to to look at that and examine that is maybe the res- responsibility of German filmmakers when when looking at that. And that obviously is is different and understandably different from from a UK or a US perspective. When you were making it, and there's an international element to it, James French, your cinematographer. I know your script came from uh, Scottish. Mm-hmm. Olympic athletes. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, and there's a, a Europeanism to a lot of your your work. I know you've worked with you know Most Wanted Man, and you work with Ewan McGregor and Eva Green on Perfect mm-hmm. Sense, and my friends Natasha Dack on on, on Remainder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that the, you know you have an international producing kind of pedigree. Mm-hmm. But this one, when you're making it, were you thinking of a German audience watching it? Were you thinking it, it would be? no one thinks it would be quite so big and, and having the eyeballs of the world on it but how, how do you think of as a producer what, what who were you thinking of when you were I mean, sort of it, I as a producer or sort of we we as a company we we've always we we've always 
thought of ourselves as a Berlin-based European company, right? And we we want to we want to make films and work with filmmakers that tell stories that are connected to where we are from and that we sort of feel knowledgeable about, but that have that have the ability to reach audiences beyond just Germany. All Quiet on the Western Front being the best-selling German language novel internationally of all times to this day, even though it's 100 years old, is a good start. It's, um, it's good IP, you're saying. It, 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 is, it is. I mean, yeah. sort of All Quiet on the Western Front is a good IP. I yeah. mean, sort of it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good phrase, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort of it, it, it's when we went out with the project, really sort of in, in um, you know, sort of we pitched in All Quiet on the Western Front and best-selling German language novel, sort of, and and a lot of times it had become so 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 popular and such a household name that that a response was it's a German novel. <laughs> yes. Are you sure? So so obviously the sort of the the the, the literary masterpiece and its success um, worldwide and the fact that. The first film adaptation was done in the U.S. in 1929, won two Oscars in 1930, helped us. In, I've, I've in seen that film. Yeah. Which, it's, it's an amazing film, I have to say. It, it is an amazing only, film. Not only are you remaking a very famous book, you're remaking a, a really good war film, you know, a really strong, uh, and sonically, I was in a very early sound movie, but the, the sound in it is, is extraordinary. Absolutely, and, and I mean, sort of, it is, you know, sort of, our 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 point in, in making this is, is obviously not... Sort of, you know, to to sort of paint over, uh, if if you if you'd like, uh, the old film. You know, Blue's Milestone directed it, won two Academy Awards. It's a fantastic film, and it'll forever be an iconic film. We felt, as sort of, you know, when when we started thinking about it, we said, this has, this has never been done in its original language, in the German language. That that felt like such a blind spot yeah. and such a obvious thing. Um, that, that that was one of the reasons why we went to it. What do you, you as a producer, you've obviously you know done the homework. You have a lot of thought about it. You know, mm-hmm. Does a producer need to be as thoughtful uh, uh, as you about these <laughs> things, or can they just be right? We need trucks, we need trenches, we need to do it in the Czech Republic. How, how have you brought this uh, literary intelligence? How does that help you as a producer knowing it? It seems an it seems an obvious question, but I think it's really important, that, and that's where you get a better movie. I mean, sort of, it, it's. I think you can, you can fill the role of a producer in, in very very many different uh, many different ways, mm. and and you can, um, and obviously on every film you you see you know there is a sort of you know there is a list of producer credits, and and all of them are there for different reasons, and um, some could be more in an executive producer or sort of like an executive type role, others. You know, could be financiers. Others could be. So, so I don't think there is a there is one answer to mm. to your question. Um, it's certainly important for me. Um, I mean, sort of, we are we're a very small company. Um, What's the name of your company? Sorry, amusement park. Um, it's called amusement park. Um, we we are a small independent company. Um, you know, there are six people in our company. Yeah. We do one or two projects a year. We hope to always combine sort of something that interests us intellectually, yeah. but also with a very, very hands-on approach. Um, I, you know, I'm on set every day. Yeah. Uh, 
And so it's I hate my... to use the word in the trenches, but one, literally in this one, you were in the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's my definition. And, and I need to... I mean, it, it, and if you do it like that, you need a good reason. Because, yeah. um, um, you know, because it's, it's a lot of work and arguably sort of there are other way, why, ways of producing which are more business-minded. people said to you, Malte, why, why don't you just take a back seat and do the executive thing, say, yes, we're doing this, and then let someone else get on with it. That's just not what you do? It's just not what I do. Okay. It's, it's, it's not how I, how I see my role. Obviously, yeah. you know... The director Edward Berger, in this case, sort of you know, is is the key creative factor. For, for me, it's very important to be part of that process and and understand and sort of and argue about stuff and you know discuss casting choices and crew choices and um, and and sort of otherwise, I simply would be interested. It's a um, or maybe I just haven't figured out a way where so, you know, someone but, will tell you, Walter, just go and sit down. <laughs> you, um, I, I've heard you tell the story about how you, you sort of originated the project, but the script came to you, but it was a script from a, I'm right, the Scott as a Scottish writer, yes. Um, uh, Leslie Patterson and Ian Stockel, um, she's Scottish, she's a five time world champion triathlete. Um, no, but sort of uh, Leslie and Ian, they had optioned the novel, I think for 14 years by the time, uh, or, or 13 years maybe, by the time that their script got to me. Um, they had been trying to set it up with various producers. Um, the last one, Daniel Dreyfus, is still a credited producer on the film. And they had always tried to set it up as an English language project. And they had failed to to achieve that so and then the script came to me it was still sort of the idea that uh it, it should be an english language film mm. and could i possibly from a german side come in as whatever you know co-producer uh, and and sort of you know help structure it and i felt it has to be a german language film and edward and i were working on something else yeah. at the time and you know he's a fantastic director you know he um Sort of at the time he was he was shooting a TV series in the U.S. called Your Honor with Brian Cranston. Um, he also directed Patrick Melrose um, and and sort of a lot of other good stuff. These are yes. maybe the the two most well known. I, I enjoyed them both. Episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I thought it's got to be it's got to be a German language film. And I spoke to Edward about it, and he agreed. And that's when I went back to to Leslie and Ian and said. Let us try. Let sort of, you know, give it to me. Don't sort of, I don't think you've tried long enough doing it sort of in, in a different structure. Let us try and do it. And Edward will sort of work on your script because it needs to be German language. And Edward's also a very good writer. And so they became, they, they stayed part of the sort of creative team, obviously. But um, that's when we sort of took the reins. Uh, you have quite a, uh, a sort of international crew. Did you think that that was interesting? If, if you'd done it all German, perhaps it, you know, it would have lacked a little something, an extra flavour. What does that internationalism bring? It's, uh, it, it was certainly a fantastic experience to, 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 shoot, to shoot a German language film um, with a German, British, Czech 
French crew, um, who were obviously all enemies, um, you know, at the time that sort of the, 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 the novel yeah. and, and our film d depicts. And, and, and seeing that and having a, a, a British operator, um, Danny Bishop, who, uh, who, who works with James Friend um, a lot, starting to cry while operating, sort of shooting our young Austrian actor, Felix Camera, in his first role in front of a camera. Um, and, and, and that certainly was a, it, it, it was a really beautiful experience. I sort of, I, I can't really sort of, I, I, I wouldn't know sort of, had we done it with an all German crew or whatever, or less Czech people, more French, I don't know sort of if, how, how it would become different, but, but certainly doing it this way um, felt very, very rewarding. These things happen sometimes for a reason, and it gets 14 BAFTA nominations this year, sometimes for a reason. Uh, and we can make some of those reasons up. I don't know, you, you've now done a lot of thinking about the movie, perhaps more because of this long tail that it's had and this journey that it's still on. Can you think of a reason why suddenly it works? You know, you've been in this business a long time. You've made The Aftermath, which is also a great, great movie about the, 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 the Second World War. Uh, you've made, you know twisty turny John le Carre type things with The Most Wanted Man. They were all very good. Why does this one hit more and resonate right now? I would say it, it is, there is some black magic, dark alchemy sort of behind it, and, and which I wouldn't know what it is. You know, otherwise it, it, it would be easy to repeat it. <laughs> um, uh, clearly, clearly this film, there is a, a horrible and sort of, unforeseen relevance because of the war in the Ukraine. Um, if you look at pictures um, from the front in the Ukraine uh, and compare it to images of uh, the First World War, they are harrowingly close to each other. Yeah. So there is this sense of unwanted uh, but timely relevance yeah. because of it that I'm sure contributed to to you know people paying attention uh, to the film. The other, when we started out making the film, obviously we couldn't foresee this escalation um, of the Ukrainian war, and so our motivation. You always ask yourself the question: sort of why now? Why would this film be relevant? And and there is another aspect that Edward and I sort of feel very strongly about. And that is the story of, of All Quiet on the Western Front is a story of, as I said, five young students who are sort of fueled by nationalistic propaganda and go to war thinking this will be an adventure. Right-wing nationalistic propaganda and lies have entered the political discourse again yeah. over the last 10 years. They are right-wing parties in pretty much every parliament in Europe. Um, they're, you know, they have the government in Italy, in Hungary, um, and the, then there's Poland, there's Germany, there's, you know, sort of France, the Dutch, they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And and this, so this propaganda and this lies usually coupled with attacks on international institutions like the EU, uh, United Nations, um, or NATO are present somehow. And, and, and I believe sort of what this film or what the novel can do is remind us of the consequences 
if we don't fight those, and if we don't resist those, and if we don't succeed in defending our society against these attacks. And, and that's what we felt even before the Ukrainian war is, is a timely and relevant story. And if, if we manage to reach an audience that sort of has the same impression, yeah. it, it would be great. And, and that possibly could be a reason why, why the film connects. I think, yes, I think so. I think you have to certainly look for that. And of course, you always ask yourself, I'm sure as a producer, why am I making this movie? I'm sure you've asked yourself many times in the middle of a 3.30 a.m. in the trench when it's raining, why the hell am I making this movie? Uh, these are good reasons to keep, to keep going and to hold on to something, I think, probably, uh, as a producer. Uh, Netflix were your partners in this. Was it always a Netflix? That obviously, at some point, Netflix came aboard, um, but when you were originating it, you, Netflix probably didn't exist when you started originating, originating it. Oh no no! I mean, sort of when um, obviously when 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 Ian and Leslie sort of you know first optioned the novel uh, fifteen years ago, sort of um, Netflix weren't part. And when when Edward and I then started going out trying, and and that was Berlin Film Festival of twenty twenty, we sort of took the the project out and presented it to to potential partners. And then Netflix was just very very persistent mm. in pursuing us and and. Uh, explaining to us why they'd be a fantastic partner and um, why we should be making it with them, and, um, and and they did persuade us. and And I do have to say that all along the way, they've they've been fantastic as partners. I mean, sort of it, it is you know we managed to to have a theatrical window um, of about four weeks, um, which enabled people who were interested in seeing the film on a, on a large screen, yeah. see it on a large screen. I've seen it on a big screen. Actually, I haven't seen it on a small screen. I've seen it twice, yeah. on, both on a big screen. <laughs> and, and, and possibly, hopefully now, with sort of all this awards recognition, so there's a chance of it coming back yeah. to, to the screen for, for people who, who, who might discover the film now. Um, and and prefer to not see it at home. Did they fully finance? They fully finance. Wow! So you went out at, at Berlin. I'm interested how you go out with with a, with the director and say this is what we've got. Did you shoot some teaser? Did you have a, a deck? What did you What did you have? Uh, yes, I mean, sort of. We did have we did have sort of like a pitch deck with a director statement and um, and and so forth. And um, but but in this case, because of. The, the well-known novel and because of the history that mm. sort of All Quiet on the Western Front already had, we we felt we didn't, so, I mean, we didn't have any cast attached. We um, we didn't shoot a, sort of a mood reel or teaser trailer no. or anything. Sort of, we, we basically just... But it's very hard to say, well, you know, you know World War One movies, you know, there's a trench <laughs> and there's rats and there's explosions. It, it, it's hard. It, what, it, it's interesting what you, what your film does differently to all the... I don't like to say cliches because that's not really fair on, on, yeah, on, on an yeah, amazing yeah. genre, yeah, but yeah. It, it's a well-known sort of cinematic shorthand yeah. for it. But yours, yours does have points of difference that I think are, are intriguing. I think our points of difference are really perspective rather than the actual craft. Because, yes, I mean, sort of it is, it is, a, it is a well-known genre. I mean, for this in particular, we didn't feel it, it necessary to sort of present I mean obviously we presented imagery but more sort of like not not sort of as a precise promise yeah. of what our camera work will look like yeah. or um, and was that 
if Netflix hadn't done it? Was there a big appetite from everyone else to do it? You know, when you're pitching a project, you know, some people turn it down point blank and you think, well, why are they turning it down? And why does someone else say, yes, we really want to do it? Was there a big appetite for this or, you know, 50-50? What was the sort of mood? No, I mean, sort of, th there was appetite. Um, there was appetite um, also from, from other uh, possible partners. Mm. Than, than Netflix. Netflix was very persuasive in, in sort of why they would be a, a great partner. And, and obviously there was another aspect, which isn't the reason why we chose Netflix, but sort of it turned out to be a total blessing because obviously then in the spring of 2020, everywhere else sort of, you know, Corona hit, the pandemic hit, yeah. sort of everything was shut down. And a lot of these other places stopped operating at least for for a period and i'm not sure if we would have been able to to sort of you know prep and gear up for this film um if if netflix hadn't been our partner fully financed as well Malcolm. oh absolutely that's not i mean that, i don't know if you've had that before fully financed but uh, for a producer does it simplify things when some, when you go right i don't have to go to more and more funds you know you could see this film being made with you know mm -hmm. Czech film funds, some German film funds, some stuff from ZDF, maybe some Arte, yeah. maybe some DFR. Yeah. I don't know. You're a European producer. You're used to doing that sort of uh, yes hurling. I I mean, obviously, sort of, we did have the support of the Czech film fund. Um, sort of, there is a Czech tax credit, mm. which is uh, dependable and sort of and and a, and, a, and a great financing instrument. And we did make use of that. So so it was Netflix minus the Czech Film Fund, soft money from, from the Czech Republic. I've put together films sort of in this classic sort of jigsaw yeah. type of, you know, sort of two or three pre-sales to, you know, some bigger territories, then an MG from a sales company maybe, and some equity and a TV pre-sale there and, and a little bit of, of, you know, soft money from here and regional soft money from Germany and then sort of tax credit and I think there is there is a fear or sort of you know or as an independent producer there is um, th there is a little bit sort of this worry if it's all coming from one party they will have a lot of say <laughs> in what we're doing and and sort of spreading that out and, and having five parties could potentially be thought of as well nobody's powerful enough to tell us what to do so you know basically that's a way of protecting um, yeah. in this case obviously we had creative conversations with with netflix and they were sort of productive you know they were productive open conversations they weren't about um you know they they, they weren't about sort of this is how we do stuff um kind of thing but you know asking us and and bringing us to rethink certain decisions so so that was very very helpful mm. and there's one thing sort of in a fully financed structure that is absolutely beautiful because i've also because you can actually very quickly then go about making the film and prepping in the best possible way and i've also done films where the closing of a financial structure because of these many moving parts takes well into prep you don't have enough money. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't secure actors because yeah. you know there are six parties and nobody lets go of their money until the other five sort of let go of their money too. And and that can be that can be quite a gauntlet of a process and and take a lot of uh, take a lot of 
focus mm. from actually making the film. Just before you go, because I'm hearing all this, I'm thinking I'm you know, beginning my career as a European producer. That's how I think I have got a French project that I'm making in Paris uh, with a great uh, the American director, which I'm very excited about. And I'm thinking, how do how do you do this as a European producer? Get you know suddenly get involved with the you know the, 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 a British film like The Aftermath and BBC films. And how, what would you advise to position oneself as a European independent creative producer? Oh, I mean, sort of in 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 my case, it it really comes out out of my interest, right? Sort of it, it's when I started, um, I, I I wasn't formally trained in the in the film industry, sort of my. My formal training was um, was law school, mm -hmm. with a very very clear conviction that I would never ever practice law or sort of work in that field. So, after university, when I started working in the film industry, and you know in various sort of positions, um, and and eventually as a producer, first for other bigger companies, and then uh, sort of you know setting up my own company. To me, it was very clear that I always wanted to make the films that I would enjoy seeing. Mm -hmm. And these films tended to be European. I think sort of the, the, the society of film lovers is very, very international. And we, you know, in, in film festivals, we see, you know, Asian films, African films, sort of Eastern European films, Scandinavian films, German yeah. films, British films, American films. And it's a very... It's a very international language, and that is in reference to each other. So I, I always just wanted to make films that were relevant in in the context that I lived in and that I watched movies in, and and that clearly meant that they needed to be more international or European, and that that they could, you know, that I could work with. British writers, or sort of, um, we have a TV show that that my producing partner did, sort of with Israeli writers, and so it, it it's just. Um, so you go up to them at film festivals and say, "Hello, we're from amusement park. Let's do something." Well, well, that or I mean, sort of, we've I've been doing it for a while, yeah. right? Sort of, and, and it always, you know, and when I, I sometimes teach at film schools, sort of, and and then, and I remember sort of like hearing seasoned producers talk about that and sort of and, and always thinking well they make it sound so easy when you know but but sort of it is it's also a question of time and age and sort of you know and and, and track record and, and obviously um we've we've been around as a company for yeah. a while so if we reach out to you know other filmmakers sort of or their representatives or agents we we tend to we, we tend to be sort of at least listen to and yeah. sort of and, and 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 our pitch is is, is being heard. <laughs> well, fourteen BAFTA nominations and nine Oscar nominations are not going to hurt. That's for sure. For all quite the rest of the front, I think I wish you the best in the rest of the journey. It, it feels like even whatever happens, you'd be this is an extraordinary uh, accolade for your for your film already. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sort of it, it is. Um, everything from now on is just an added bonus. I mean, already sort of I'm 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 not. I'm, I'm not sort of sitting at home or sort of lying in bed thinking, okay, so there's... Oh, come on, you are, Matt. You Don't tell me, you, you, it's not your first language, so don't tell me you've not thought, 
a little best picture speech just in case, <laughs> just tucked away. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that obviously is completely unlikely. But, but yes, I mean, sort of, I, I sort of just in the very unlikely case, you don't want to be unprepared. So I, I'll, you know, I'll do one, which I won't need. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I am sort of, I'm, I'm so happy about this recognition. I'm really not lying awake and thinking, so 14 here and 9 here, sort of, what would feel good? Sort of, you know, how many do I want to take home? I, you know, I, think, I, said, I think 14, the record BAFTA equaling number with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Which is very, very good company. Very good I'm company. I'm very happy. I was amazed, though, because I think the film's too, but the, my favourite thing in, in, in the film is your lead actor, Felix. Mm-hmm. It's his first role. I think he's tremendous as Paul, this, this great part, Felix Cameron. And he's, the, he's almost the one person in the whole film that's not nominated for anything. And, and, and he's also um, sort of coming from the BAFTA long list, sort of he's the only one that dropped off yeah. from long list to nomination. And, and Felix is such an incredible talent and such a, such a fantastic actor to work with. And he's the face of the film and, and, and I'm extremely grateful because sort of I, I also I have this completely um, sort of unfounded almost paternal <laughs> pride for 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 his success because my my wife was working uh, at the Vienna State Theatre uh, and she saw Felix in acting school and hired him out of acting school into his first professional theatre job to Vienna and then she told me about this young actor that I had to go and see, and uh, I went to see him on stage, and it was amazing. So I suggested him to Edward, and we we invited him, and that he's so successful sort of fills me with pride, and you know, and and we obviously we have to thank my wife for we think, initially. We do what was your wife's name? Sabrina. Sabrina, is she, is she involved? I mean, she's the theatre director, is she? Or? She she's a writer and a dramaturg. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. There you go. Otherwise, yeah. she just kind of randomly yeah. found this. But but that's great that you found this this star as well. Is that yes. another thing that a producer does that no one gives you credit for? Is that you and, do and, that? <laughs> and obviously finding finding the right people to work with. In in, in this case, Edward and I worked with uh, a fantastic casting director, Simona Beer, who sadly passed away two days before she got nominated for BAFTA oh, for best casting. I didn't know that. And she, because Felix, I, I worked with her a lot, sort of, she cast um, the German roles in The Most Wanted Man, The Aftermath, Land of Mine, sort of, I, I, I have a long history uh, with her. And she, she immediately saw Felix. And obviously, because he had never been in front of a camera, just been on stage, Edward and I weren't always sure, you know, will he carry this? Will he sort of, you know, can he? And, and, and Simone just saw it and and said no he will sort of trust me and and her opinion and her confirmation gave us confidence and i'm sure also gave netflix confidence yeah. you and know felix himself, and and felix himself yeah fantastic talking about this film so much to unpack about it and your career as a producer thank you very much indeed and um Beinbruch, i think that says uh, uh, for good luck yes going forward <laughs> thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure what did i glean from a producer riding the crest of an awards wave in malte grunet 
As you might expect from a German, he was calm and efficient, and he trusted the distributor Netflix on this. That was interesting to hear how Netflix came on board and fully financed uh, and how he got them at a festival uh, and the pros and cons of that, mainly pros, clearly, in this case. His perspective as an independent European producer was fascinating too, driven by his desire to be deeply involved and on set with the creative talents and to see how one decision, in this case to make it German language, having received the English language script, how that unlocked a project that was stalling for so many years. It was also sad, I think, to see how world events can sometimes collide to make a subject relevant again, such as war here in this example. Congratulations then to Malte Grunert and to All Quiet on the Western Front. Thanks for listening to Meet the Producer from the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored by PSN Production Service Network. To find out more about them and the key resources they can provide for producers, go to productionguild.com and productionservicenetwork.com. And for more about me, it's jasonsolomons.com. And we'll all see you on the next episode.